Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Hello there, and welcome to the Speedway Show. Our topic for today is who can vote anyway? As the debate over voter ID or voter suppression rages on, have you wondered who is actually eligible to vote? If you are a legal resident alien, can you vote? If you are convicted of a felony, can you vote? What if it's a misdemeanor? Can you vote if you served your time and are on parole or probation? What if you have completed all the requirements of your time and are completely free? What if you are a sex offender and have to register for always and forever? Can you vote then? Today we're going to explore these questions. If you have a criminal history, you'll want to listen closely, but this show is also for you if you know someone who has had a brush with the law because too many people don't realize that they can vote when, in fact, they can't. Many people assume that the minute you have any sort of criminal record, you cannot vote, but that is not the case. So to the question of can I vote, the answer is, it depends. Depends on the state, and it depends on the nature of the crime. As a result, I'm going to give you some answers from around the country, and if you have a question that pertains to your particular state, I recommend that you take this as a guide to get more specific about what is going on in your particular uh, locale. The one caveat that I'm going to give you today is This is not legal advice. So if you need specific advice about your particular situation, you need to consult an attorney, but not me, because I don't work with individual clients anymore, nor do I practice criminal law anymore. I did that for five years, and uh, I did that for five years at the beginning of my career in Ohio. And um, anybody who practices criminal law will tell you that the laws while they have some similarities, there are many things that are just very state-specific. So one lawyer in a particular state cannot truly give you complete and adequate advice about the law in your situation and in your particular state. Before we get going, let's start with some basic terminology because I hear these things thrown around in the news all the time. And I don't think most people really understand the distinctions. So we're going to make some distinctions today because it's going to help as we go through our discussion. First of all, we're going to distinguish between a misdemeanor and a felony. What's the difference? Aren't they both crimes? Yes, they are. A misdemeanor is a less serious crime that can be punishable by a fine, a penalty, forfeiture of your rights, like, for example, uh, a driver's license. Generally, misdemeanors call for incarceration for shorter periods of time compared to felonies. For example, I told you I practiced in Ohio. Well, in Ohio, a misdemeanor was punishable by incarceration for up to not more than one year. Okay? So if 
somebody got a traffic citation, if somebody was charged with, you know, resisting arrest or jaywalking or something like that, the time that they could do could not exceed one year. A felony, on the other hand, is a more serious crime. That calls for incarceration for more than one year. Some crimes can be one or the other depending on the seriousness. For example, if you are charged with assault, it could be a misdemeanor or it could be felonious assault uh, or it could be assault with a deadly weapon, which is you know, the most serious kind of assault in some states, which means you can get the most time. And the most time is anywhere between you know, more than one year to uh, you know, one year plus to uh, life imprisonment, depending on how serious the crime is. So generally, when you hear that somebody has gone to prison for a uh, crime, it was probably a felony. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. We're going to distinguish between jail and prison. You might be thinking, well, aren't those both forms of incarceration? Yes, yes, they are. Jail. Generally, jail is the place where a person is held when they are first arrested. So if you hear that somebody got arrested last night, they're probably sitting in the city or the county jail. They are also confined to jail while they are waiting trial. Okay? If a a defendant is convicted of a misdemeanor, he or she may also be held in a jail. If they are juveniles, they might be in a juvenile detention facility. If it's a really minor infraction, they might be held in a workhouse of some kind. But generally, when you hear jail, jail tends to go with misdemeanors. Jail tends to go with incarceration when people are waiting for their case to be adjudicated. Prison. Generally, it's where people go after they are convicted of a felony, particularly if it is um, uh, if they are going to be incarcerated. So, as I as I said, jail generally misdemeanors, generally a holding place for people who are waiting for their cases to be determined. Prison, generally where you go after you are convicted, particularly if you are convicted of a felony, a Felony being, of course, a crime that requires more than one year in prison. Okay? So now when you hear misdemeanor felony, you should know the difference. When you hear jail, prison, although everybody tends to use the word jail, just remember they're not the same thing. They serve different purposes. This is where we get to the difference between now probation and parole. Okay? Probation is a period of release from detention that is subject to some period of good behavior under supervision. Probation is often what we call release if the defendant does not have to serve the actual sentence or and he or she is released under certain conditions instead. In other words, probation is an alternative to a sentence of incarceration. For example... Let's say you get stopped by a police officer and you mouth off and you are arrested for resisting arrest. A misdemeanor. Rather than sending you to jail for three to six months, your excellent attorney convinces your uh, the judge that because it's your first-time offense 
And because the officer's story wasn't that reliable anyway, you should be placed on probation instead of serving your time in jail, okay? In that case, you are on probation. You may have to report periodically to a probation officer, submit to random drug tests, undergo anger management counseling, depending on the crime, take a driving class, whatever. There might be requirements that you have to fulfill, okay? You may have to report, you know, change of address. You may have to take uh, your analysis every so often, stuff like that. Um, parole. Parole is what we call the release when you have had to serve your time and you're being released early. Unlike probation, parole is part of the sentence that you might serve. For example, let's suppose that you are convicted of felonious assault and you are sentenced to 10 years in prison. But because of your excellent behavior in prison, you end up having to serve only one-third of that time before you have to, um, before you are, you are released, okay? Well, in that situation, you're, when you are released, you're going to be put on parole, okay? Probation is what happens to you instead of going to prison or to jail. Parole is what happens to you after you've spent some time in prison, okay? So that is parole. All right. Now that you are armed and dangerous with some initial phrases, um, let's talk about how criminal convictions affect your voting status. The first thing that I'll tell you about voting that's a given is that in the United States, in order to vote, you must be a United States citizen. You cannot be a resident alien. You cannot be on a visa. You must be a citizen. To be a citizen, you must either have been born in the United States or you must be naturalized to become a citizen. Okay? If you are a citizen, for example, you are eligible to hold a U.S. passport. If you have a U.S. passport, you're probably a citizen. Therefore, unless you have a criminal conviction or some other thing that stops you from voting, you ought to be eligible to vote. Okay? Most often, criminal convictions can eliminate your right to vote. In fact, most often they, t they eliminate your, your right to vote temporarily. In some states, it is a crime to register or to vote while you are confined, detained, or on parole, which means if you are in jail, if you are in prison, or if you are on parole, you cannot register to vote, and you cannot cast a vote. If you do, in most states, this can be, this is a felony, okay, as it can be as serious as a felony, which means for casting your ballot to vote when you're not eligible to vote, you can go to prison for more than one year. What about a misdemeanor? Misdemeanors are treated quite differently by different states. In Colorado, if you are in jail serving time for a misdemeanor conviction, you have the right to register to vote, and you can vote in any election. If you're not going to be out and if you cannot go to the voting poll, 
you can con, uh, you can contact the clerk in the county of your legal residence, and you can ask for a mail-in ballot so that you can still vote, even if you're going to be incarcerated on election day. If you are convicted of a misdemeanor in Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, Missouri, South Carolina, and South Dakota, you cannot vote while you are incarcerated. In addition, Kentucky and Missouri require an executive pardon before you can be allowed to vote if you were convicted of certain kinds of misdemeanors. They are called high misdemeanors in Kentucky as in high crimes, and they are in Missouri if you are convicted of an election-related misdemeanor, then you have to get an executive pardon before you can vote again. In Iowa, the only people who cannot vote who have been incarcerated for misdemeanors are people convicted of what they call aggravated misdemeanors. And, you know, there's certain things that aggravated, anytime you hear the word aggravated, whether it's an aggravated assault, aggravated misdemeanor, aggravated felony, it just means it's a misdemeanor that is more serious than other misdemeanors because of the circumstances. So, for example, an aggravated felony might mean you committed a felony, but it was made worse because, um, you know, you killed somebody in the process of committing a robbery. So maybe the robbery was a felony, um, and maybe it was an aggravated robbery because you used a gun. Maybe it was an aggravated felony because you shot somebody in the process. That's what aggravated means. In West Virginia, the only people who cannot vote if convicted of misdemeanors are ones where the misdemeanors are related to elections. Do you see a theme here? Typically, if you misbehave around elections because it's regarded so seriously, a lot of states look at those kinds of felonies differently. All others convicted of misdemeanors in West Virginia can vote by absentee ballot. Individuals in the remaining states may vote by absentee ballot while incarcerated for any misdemeanors. In the District of Columbia, some misdemeanors are actually classified as felonies if they're related to elections, lobbying, and campaign finance. If you are convicted of any of these crimes, you are, you are ineligible to vote even though the underlying crime was a misdemeanor. For other misdemeanors in D.C., People who are convicted can vote by absentee ballot. So the next question, what if I am in jail waiting for my trial? Can I vote then? Yes, you can vote in some states even if you are in jail awaiting trial. Remember that jail is often used as a holding place for defendants awaiting the outcome of their case. Part of the logic, I would suspect, is that at the point where you are in jail awaiting trial, you are still innocent and you have not been convicted of a crime yet. Therefore, you have not been proven guilty. As a result, these states figure, hey, until you are convicted of a crime, you are eligible to vote. You will still have to register to vote before the deadline. You will still need a mail-in ballot if you're not going to be out. And in some cases, an institutional administrator may need to certify that you are eligible to vote. So there may be some hoops to jump through, and it might not be easy, but it can be done. If you are on bail, can you vote? 
Associated with this question is what if you are not incarcerated in jail but out on bond or out on bail? At the beginning of a criminal case, the court can set bail, and that is what has to be paid before a defendant can be released on the condition that he return to every hearing. The bail will be either returned when the case is over or applied to any restitution, court costs, other things that are due to other money that is due to the court. The amount of the bail is based on various factors, including the seriousness of the crime, the likelihood that the defendant will will flee, uh, or sometimes the financial means that the defendant has. You see this on TV all the time. That that might be you know, second only to the trial itself. The bail hearing is one of those things that seems to show up on uh, TV dramas all the time. And bail is usually set at a hearing called an arraignment, where, among other things, the defendant has to either plead uh, innocent, guilty, or no contest. Uh, and then the play, the the prosecutor gets to argue for the highest bail possible, and the defense attorney gets to argue for the lowest bail possible, and somewhere in between then they, the court gets to set the bail. Okay? So if you are on bail, can you vote? Yes. All right? So hopefully you're still tracking with me so far. We've got a lot to go yet. What if I am on probation? Remember we talked about what probation is? Probation means I avoided going to jail and I was put on probation instead. And if I fulfill my conditions of probation, I am free and I have served my uh, time. Yes, you can vote in most states when you are on probation. What if you have served your time uh, for a felony and you are finished? The answer is maybe. Maine and Vermont are the only states that allow felons to vote from behind bars. Eleven states take away the right to vote from felons for life, although some allow ex-felons to appeal for the right to be restored. In Colorado, Minnesota, and a variety of other states that fall between these two extremes, you can vote even if you were convicted of a felony, even if you were convicted of it in a different state. So let's say I was convicted in the state of Georgia, and I now live in the state of Colorado, or I now live in Minnesota. You can vote as long as you have completed your sentence of incarceration as well as your parole. In other words, you are what they call off paper. The right to vote in these states is automatically restored. You have to register, but you can vote. You cannot register to vote before you are off paper, and you cannot do it while you are incarcerated, so you have to wait until everything is over. In Minnesota, you can register to vote on Election Day if you have not pre-registered. Here's the bad news, though. Even if you are off paper, the county elections office may not have been told that your civil rights have been restored. That may result in the election judge challenging your eligibility to vote. If you get to the polling place and that happens, you can explain that you have completed your sentence and your civil rights have been restored. 
My suggestion is if you want to go and register on that date, you need to take with you some evidence of the completion of your sentence so that you can demonstrate that your rights have been restored. The election judge may require you to swear an oath that your rights have been restored before allowing you to vote. Particularly at the larger precincts, there are often people who are stationed there to help you with these kinds of issues. If you have completed your time and are off paper, my suggestion is also that you send in your voter registration ahead of time. That way, if there are problems, you'll find out in time to address before Election Day. If you submit your registration application but your name is still in the database as a person incarcerated or on parole, your county elections office may send you a notice telling you that you are not eligible to register to vote. At that point, you can submit proof of your discharge, like your parole discharge papers or some other evidence demonstrating that you have completed your time and are eligible to vote. When you are eligible to vote after your parole is served and you are released, you can vote in any election, whether state or federal. So you can vote for the president of your choice this year. Go do it. Let's talk a minute about restitution. What about restitution? In some cases, a defendant may be ordered to pay restitution for a crime. This is particularly true if the crime was a financial one. For example, remember when Bernie Madoff was convicted of all of those crimes and he was sentenced in 2009 to serve 150 years in prison? That was a whole lot of felonies there. For masterminding the largest investment fraud scheme in United States history? Remember that? Okay, well... He's not going to be voting anytime soon. He was also ordered to pay restitution, and all the millions of dollars that he still had were seized and, dis well, held to be distributed to his victims. And, of course, it was not enough, so you heard all the you know, victims crying in the news about how I've lost my retirement fund, I've lost everything I've been saving for the past 20, 25, 30 years, and there's not enough money to go around to pay all of us, and in fact, some of us haven't seen any money at all. Okay, all of that is associated with restitution. Since Bernie Madoff was the biggest white-collar criminal of all time, any restitution that you might have to pay will not be anywhere near what he had to pay. You might be wondering if you can vote, if you have to pay restitution, and the answer is yes. You can vote even if you are still paying your restitution in most states, and you do not have to wait until you are done making your payments before you can vote. The payment of restitution does not, in many states, impact your right to vote. What about notification? There will be no notification for you. You will not get a letter saying, hey, guess what? You are eligible to vote. So don't wait for a letter and don't fail to vote because someone didn't tell you that you could. It is your responsibility to make sure that if you can vote, you take the steps to make sure that you actually do it. What if you have moved? As I said, different states have different regulations. Generally, the state in which you live determines your right to vote. So even if your criminal conviction was in some other state, check with your home state first about the rules around 
whether you can vote and what you have to do in order to be able to vote. What if you registered to vote before your arrest? If you registered before you were incarcerated for a felony conviction, your registration would have been canceled. So you have to register again. So do not rely on your previous registration. Let's talk about impact. According to the data compiled by the Sentencing Project through 2010, more than 5.85 million Americans with criminal records are disenfranchised from voting. That number had increased by 600,000 people since 2004. For example, Mississippi is one of the six states where more than 7% of adults cannot vote because of a felony conviction. Most of these disenfranchised adults have been released from prison, and more than 4 million of them cannot cast a ballot because they are on probation or they are on parole or they live in a state that withholds the right to vote from all ex-felons. Six states host the most felons and ex-cons blocked from voting. Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Virginia, where more than 3 million people are banned from the rolls. Remember that Florida and Virginia are key battleground states for the presidential elections and will be key in determining our next president. At this point, let me take a moment to step back to the show that aired on October 1 on the Speedway Show entitled, Stop Beating My Child. In that show, we examined the alarming phenomenon of teachers beating kids in schools under the guise of legalized corporal punishment. You will be interested to know that of the states that I just named that block former felons from voting, all of them, except Virginia, still allow corporal punishment. If you missed that particular show, it was actually quite enlightening, and particularly this is true if you have children. So I recommend that you check out that show. If you're listening to this in you know early October when this particular show aired, um, then you will only have to go back to the posting before a couple of, maybe a couple of postings, depending on when you listen to this particular show. But I want you to listen to that show because uh, in it I interviewed uh, a woman by the name of Paula Flo, who is the executive director of an organization called The Hitting Stops Here. Very, very interesting tie-in to the conversation that we are having today. You know why else? Because, in case you are thinking that all this might be a coincidence, every single one of these six states was a southern slave state. In my opinion, these three things together, the voter exclusion, the maintenance of paddling laws, which some would argue are a throwback from slavery, and the fact that these states were all slave states and among the last to actually actively uh, um, stop practicing in the slave trade. All of this paints a picture of a particular mindset that has lingered in the legislative and legal mindsets within these states. That's my opinion. African Americans, 
are the largest population hit hardest by voter disenfranchisement laws. What a surprise. According to one study, 7% of blacks are disenfranchised compared to 1.8% of the rest of the countries, uh, of this country, the United States. The numbers are more drastic in Florida and Virginia, those political battlegrounds I told you about. Um, In Kentucky and Virginia, 20% of blacks cannot vote. In Florida, 23% of blacks cannot vote. The ACLU Voting Rights Program Director, Laughlin McDonald, told the Huffington Post in an interview that these numbers reflect racial bias and are a continuation of the history of racial discrimination against blacks in the South. If you think these numbers are caused because why? Black people just happen to have greater criminal tendencies than everyone else, not only would I argue that this is not true, but listen to the July 8th show that I did entitled Black and Unemployed, Join the Club. There I was interviewed by Jordana Green on WCCO Radio about the disparate unemployment rates between blacks and whites in the United States. You might have heard about this in the news. And all of this was caused, the disparate rates were caused in part by the disparate incarceration rates in this country. And you see that incarceration rates, which are higher for blacks than any other racial group in the United States, all these incarcerations have an impact on everything else. They impact a person's right to vote. They impact a person's right to uh, obtain fair and favorable housing. They impact all sorts of other things. And that's why we should be concerned. Trends in general across the nation, this is the good news, The general trend over time has been to loosen voting restrictions on current and former felons, although the number of disenfranchised voters continues to rise because more and more people are under some form of supervision by the criminal justice system. There are some Democrats who would tell you that the whole reason for the disenfranchisement of um, particularly racial minorities in the voting system is a an intentional um, and systematic process by Republicans to eliminate as many Democrats as they possibly can because people who are convicted of crimes might be more inclined to vote for Democrats because generally the Democratic Party seems to be a little bit more helpful towards people who are down on their luck and seem to be more lenient in providing social services and rehabilitative services and um, to people who might actually need them. But I am not a Democratic pundit. I am not a Republican pundit. I am just telling you what some I have heard, uh, a common um, cry uh, against disenfranchisement of voters being. Anyway, so on with our trend. To its credit... The state of Virginia, which was in my doghouse a moment ago, uh, the state of Virginia, which bars ex-felons from voting for life unless they apply to have their rights reinstated, instituted a program in 2010 that guarantees a quicker decision on restoration requests. Before that, 
nonviolent ex-felons had to wait three years before applying, and that period has been reduced to two years. Did you hear what I just said? So there are some states in which once you are off paper, the moment you are off paper, you can vote, right? Like Minnesota. There are other states where you still have to wait. So in Virginia, once upon a time you had to wait three years before you could vote. Now you have to wait two years. It's, is it progress? Sure it is. But you still got to wait. According to the National Conference of State Legislatures, between 1996 and 2008, 28 states passed new laws on felon voting rights. Seven repealed lifetime disenfranchisement laws, at least for some ex-offenders. Two gave probationers the right to vote. Seven improved data-sharing procedures among state agencies. Nine passed requirements that ex-offenders be given information or assistance in regaining their voting rights at any time, at the time that they completed their sentences. Twelve states simplified the process for regaining voting rights, for instance, by eliminating a waiting period or streamlining, or streamlining the paperwork process. Okay? So we have seen some progress there. Currently pending is the Voter Empowerment Act of 2012, H.R. 5799. Sponsored by Representative John Lewis, the Democrat from Georgia, in May of 2012, it is intended to modernize voter registration, promote access to voting for individuals with disabilities, protect the ability of individuals to exercise the right to vote in federal elections. Notably, it bars states from denying the right to vote for citizens who have been convicted of a crime unless that person is currently serving a felony prison sentence at the time of the election. Why does this matter? Because this would be a federal law. Federal law, generally speaking, federal law preempts state law. So if there's a federal law that says, thou shalt not prohibit someone to vote just because they were convicted of a crime, the states would not be able to do that, okay? Remember when I said that currently there is no notification provided to let people know that they can vote after a criminal conviction, even if they can? Well, this bill, 5799, requires states to notify people who have been previously convicted of a crime that they are once again allowed to vote in federal elections. Individuals convicted of felonies must be notified when they are serving probation or released from custody. For misdemeanor convictions, notification is required at the time of the conviction. Unfortunately, in the face of this good news, or hopeful news, there are states that are moving in the opposite direction. In Florida and Iowa, governors reversed policies that grant more voting rights to people emerging from correctional supervision. In Florida, ex-felons must wait five years to apply for permission to vote. And in Iowa, they have to repay all court fees and restitution before they can apply to vote. So remember I said earlier, in many states, restitution does not impact your right to vote. Well, in Iowa, it does. So there is an exception. You might be thinking to yourself, well, now, Spiway, hold on just a minute. I thought in the United States there was a constitutional right to vote. 
So how can it be that you're saying all of these things and just suggesting that there are people who even after they've done their time, they've served their duty to society, they have presumably been rehabilitated, they still cannot vote. What is up with that? Well, in my interview with Congressman Keith Ellison for the August 12th show entitled Mabel and Congressman Keith Ellison on Voter ID, um, I asked him that very question. And I would suggest that you actually listen to that show and listen to the answer that he gave when I asked him the question. It is true that the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, as well as the landmark legislation, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, confers certain rights with respect to voting. Section 1 of the 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution says this, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Did you hear anything in there that said you have the unqualified right to vote? Let me read it to you again, and I want you to listen carefully and look for what it does and doesn't say. Here we go. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So you see, the 15th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act do not guarantee you the right to vote. What they do guarantee is that you will not face discrimination on the basis of your race, of your color, or if you were previously a slave. But the states get to decide what requirements you have to meet in order to vote. This is why voter ID is such a raging debate with different states having different requirements and everybody in an uproar on one side of or the other. This is why criminal history can be used to take away your right to vote because it's not based on color, race, or former slave status. In theory, it is applied equally to all people with criminal convictions. Never mind that the enforcement of certain crimes is much more zealous against people of certain races in our society. Do you see how this works? Now, my tongue-in-cheek advice to all of you listeners is, since you know that having a criminal conviction can take away your right to vote, since you know that having a criminal conviction can hinder your ability to get a job, to get housing, to live, frankly, and do anything else that is gainful in your life. My best advice to you is do not, do not commit crimes. Notice I didn't say don't be convicted of a crime. I said don't 
commit a crime. It ain't worth it. It's never worth it. The day that you are tempted, think about the fact that this crime right now that may get you whatever short-term gain is going to impact the rest of your life in every way. Even if you can vote, what you have heard me tell you is that there are states where your right to vote, in fact, many states where your right to vote is not automatic. You have to work for it. You have to earn it back. You have to jump through hoops and hoops. And I am sure that you can imagine what the picture looks like. Because if you're sitting in jail, I'm going to bet you that you're not going to be able to just walk up to your warden and say, hey, I need a ballot to vote. Can you help a brother out? Can you help a sister out? Can you help me out? I need some help. Okay? If Bernie Madoff was going to be out of prison, I'll bet you if he walked up to somebody and said, hey, I want my right to vote, can you help me out? He might have to jump through a few hoops himself. Chances are there are not a lot of people who are asking for the right to vote in prison anyway. There are not a lot of people who are on uh, probation who are asking for the right to vote. So it may not even be something that has been routinely done or taken care of or addressed in whatever institution you may be stuck in. So at the end of the day, the best thing is do not, do not, do not commit the crime in the first place. Where can I get information about whether I can vote in my specific state? As I said, I can't cover all the states. I don't claim to know everything about every state. There are various places that will offer information about your right to vote in your state. I suggest that you start with your Secretary of State's office. You will probably find information on the website, or you can find it by calling the office. If you're like me, you prefer the Internet, hey, Get on Google, get on Yahoo, get on some search engine, run a search. Can I vote in Minnesota if I have a felony record? Can I vote in Arkansas if I have a misdemeanor? And you will find answers, you will find resources, you will find tools, you will find places to call, places to go. It is my personal belief um, that whether you are a Republican, Independent, Democrat, or follower or of some other political affiliation, you should have the right to be heard at the polls. Many, many people died for your so-called right to vote, or more aptly called your right against certain discrimination in voting. But that doesn't mean you should stop fighting for it. For articles, research, and other information about your right to vote, Visit www.speedway.com, or you can type in thespeedwayshow.com. They lead you to the same place. There you will find the tools, the resources. On the posting for this particular show, you will also find related shows that I mentioned, like Congressman Keith Ellison's show, like the show I did with Paula Flo, like the show Black and Unemployed, you will find easy links all in one place that will get you to those shows so you can listen. So until next week, this is Speedway saying, register to vote and let your voice be heard. And do not, if you have the right, absolutely do not let it go without being exercised. 
Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle The Speedway Show. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.